Hello everyone and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. This is part three in my interview with Professor Kara Cooney of UCLA. Having discussed ancient craftsmanship and funerary practices, and the reign of Hatshepsut and royal power in the 18th dynasty, we now move to Professor Kara Cooney's life as an Egyptologist. What are the highs and lows of her careers, her favourite memories? What questions would she answer if she could uncover anything from the past? These questions and more in the next few minutes. Enjoy! So, moving now to your career as an Egyptologist, I'm curious, what first drew you to study ancient Egypt, and then what made you decide that this was a career you wanted to pursue? Um, I was so naive, I had no idea. I just, I followed my heart on this one. And the (laughs) real answer to your question is, I, I was allowed to follow my heart because I grew up with the entitlements that let me do that. And I also believe, and you can counter me on this being of a different gender than me, but being of the female gender in my upper middle class Texas society allowed people to pat me on the head and say, okay, sweetheart, you, you do that crazy thing mm-hmm. that you want to do. And, and I don't think, even though my brother would have made a great academic, I don't think he felt socially allowed to do that. And he is now a lawyer and assistant attorney general for the state of New York and dealing with all kinds of stuff during COVID-19. So in some ways it's because I was entitled and enabled and privileged enough to do so. Now getting to the more emotional question of why Egypt, I have no, I have no real answer to this and I do not understand it myself. And isn't it strange that I see the world around me better through the lens of antiquity, that I can't figure out my own authoritarian personalities, you know, who were ruling my government, or I can't figure out the economy, or I can't figure out how the academic system works. But then once I start studying something similar in the ancient world, I'm like, oh, that's how it works here. And then I (laughs) I don't know why that is. I don't know why I need that connection, that back and forth. Maybe it it simplifies it. It takes out all of the storyline. It, it reduces it to the, the the human things that are similar from place to place and time to time. But mm. the Egyptian connection for me, you know, it's funny. I don't think I really saw ancient Egypt as an authoritarian power until a, a good decade into my own study of that place. I was drawn to the beauty like anybody else, seduced by what kings were able to produce in love with Amenhotep III and all of his beautiful stuff and look at him and look at that statue on the sledge and looks at our museum and he's gorgeous with no critical eye. And now I, I see it in a different way. So it's almost like Egypt for me was like the hot guy. <laughs> and I chased <laughs> after him and he is so cute and I loved him. We got married. And then that hot guy started to reveal what he was actually made of. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And now I'm in analysis, like talking about the hot guy and why I was seduced by him and why I thought he was so cool. And I still think he's cool and he's still really cute, but I'm, I don't know, it's something going on. And um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. My, um, 
my my personal relationship with this this ancient place in Northeast Africa from thousands of years ago. <laughs> I'm sure we should put an asterisk that we are in no way referring to relationships past or present. <laughs> no, I, I will also say that I just found out that I have a little bit of Egyptian DNA, uh, which <laughs> is awesome. My mother did her DNA test and it shows that she's 20% Middle Eastern. And mm -hmm. that makes me 10% Middle Eastern. And a, a big chunk of that Middle Eastern is North African and Coptic Egyptian. So not a lot, but there's something. So now on a personal level, what is to date your favorite experience or memory from field excavation or museum work? Oh, that's so hard. I yeah. think... Ooh, um, the work that I've been doing in the Cairo Museum on the Royal Cache has been very interesting, really fun. But I I feel a little bit like I'm I'm lost and alone in the dark um, because I these coffins are not 19th, 20th, and 21st Dynasty coffins, so I don't feel like I know them like old friends. They're not of my dissertational past. I don't have that that memory of, of them. And I'm looking at 17th and 18th dynasty objects and they're all reworked. They're all modified, but there were Kings buried inside them. They have heretic labels on them. You know, we got to take Ramses the second's coffin out of the case and photograph that beautiful cedar piece inside and out. And the privilege that you feel looking at these pieces, you know, climbing up on the ladder next to the giant coffin of Ahmos Nefertari or should we say sarcophagus. Um, it's a, uh, let's call it a giant coffin. It's it's pretty awe-inspiring. And when you feel that awe, you realize that all of this is manufactured to make you feel that awe. And that these coffins that I'm looking at are just a mere remnant of what the kings would have been buried in, looking at what we have from Tutankhamun's burial. So um, th that moment when the coffin comes out of the case and you've been staring through the case and you can't see everything and then they open it up, um, it's a wonderful moment. And it was one time, it was a 21st dynasty coffin. I think it, would, it, it was Isidem Heb. And they opened the coffin and you know how there's the mummy rooms in the Cairo Museum. And of course they're moving all of those to Nimek, to the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. Um, not all of the mummies have been moved and they opened up one of these coffins and there inside was a 21st dynasty body, female, with the false mm -hmm. hair, with open eyes, and every we, we opened it up and everyone just went, whoa, because she's mm -hmm. looking at us. And it was it was insane um, to be able to see that, uh, that coffin being used for what it was meant and to see that, uh, that body that had not been removed and to see it revealed with the opening of the lid, that was, that was pretty crazy. And that 21st dynasty style of mummification, it goes along with what we were talking about before with those trends of, of funerary behavior, because once everybody started to steal or, or reuse legally these coffins and people were defensively deciding where to put their commodities for their display, people started to trick out their mummies in a way that they had not before. And hmm. have their, this is the apex of mummification in the 21st dynasty, which is also the apex of coffin reuse. These two things do not occur um, without meaning or reason. And that, that coffin was produced with time-consuming labor, time con expensive commodities, and um, 
And yet you can't steal any of it. Nobody in the ancient world would be able to get anything out of that mummy. So it was a way for a very closed society of Theban priests to display their wealth and abilities to other Theban priests in a very safe, sacred place like an embalming workshop, then wrap it all up. And, and then when somebody's going through the tomb, maybe their own nephew, their own grandchild, they're not going to want to take that coffin or sorry, that body mm -hmm. while they take the coffin because the mummy has no use to the people of the ancient world, though we certainly commodify them today. And finally, this is, this is a question I ask of everyone who comes on the show and it sort of gives a sense of um, interests and personality is if you could answer one question or resolve one issue definitively from ancient Egypt, what would you choose to know and why? Well, I have to go to Akhenaten's Egypt. I mean, you would too, I, I sense. It, we have to. Um, I, I would I would want to be there uh, if I'm going to get in my time machine and ask a question or if they're coming to me. Um, if they're coming to me, then I would ask Nefertiti what she agreed with and didn't agree with during her husband Akhenaten's regime. How much of a of a helpful hand was she as he was instituting all of these changes and compelling such um, sweeping and radical social change. And then mm -hmm. I would want to know what she did about it when she became co-king or, and if she was sole king, then wh what, how did she attack that problem? Um, I suppose, you know, if I have them both together, <laughs> then I will try to suss out why Akhenaten did what he did. But I'm sure it'll, you know, even if I were in his presence, I bet it would be just as confusing as it is when you're in any leader's presence like that. So say we go talk to Kim Jong-un and we get to sit him down and or we get to go there and be there and see what it's like. I still don't think we're going to be able to figure out why he continues to run this regime this way, except for the basic human behaviors of keeping power and maintaining power and raised to be a narcissist, continue to be a narcissist. You could say the same thing about the president of my country today and the people who follow him. Um, so I, I think I'm more interested in Nefertiti's story there. There's so many unknowns. There's so It's so hard to find where she starts and where she stops and where she becomes something else. So... Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to see what, I, I want to hear what she has to say about that experience. That's great. Okay. So Professor Cooney, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with the History of Egypt podcast. I know you have a busy schedule and um, been trying to get you on for a couple of years. So thank you very much for being able to join us. Uh, I hope you'll consider coming back on again in the future, particularly when the podcast reaches the later New Kingdom to discuss your work on social history and archaeologies of those times. Oh, I'd love to come back. This was super fun. And I'm sorry that I'm so hard to get a hold of. I know I am. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Yeah. But uh, before we go, are you able to give my listeners an indication of your current research or what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, I have two projects going on right now. One is a book about Egyptian authoritarian kingship, oh, no surprise there, <laughs> what I'm talking about, called The Good Kings. Um, I think it's going to be called The Good Kings Pulling the Veil from Egyptian Authoritarianism. And that's going to be a National Geographic trade book, um, mm -hmm. like, you know, with the same um, look and feel of the others, uh, connecting past and present political 
uh, connections as well. And then the other book that I'm working on is called Recycling for Death. And it's about coffin reuse and trying to just get as much data out there in one or two volumes as I possibly can. And then, you know, future stuff. Um, I, I've, I've always got uh, something in the, <laughs> in the works. Um, and the, the most important thing and the, the thing that you might be interested in as well is an edited volume that I'm doing with two of my graduate students, both of whom are getting their PhDs in the coming months. And uh, Nadia Ben Marzouk and Danielle Candelora. And we are calling that book, I think it's um, uh, Rewriting Egyptian Social History, Questioning Assumptions, something or other. And that'll be with Rutledge. And I'm writing an article on that right now, trying to find the time, on um, um, new materialism, if you know about new materialism, or geographic uh, shaping of a culture. And I'm trying to understand ancient Egypt and Egyptian society through this geographic slash economic slash material lens. And it's been very fun. And then my colleagues, um, Daniel Candelora and Nadia, they're working on other aspects as well. Danielle is doing identity. Um, she focuses on the Hyksos and Nadia is looking at situated learning communities of practice. And, hmm. and then we have um, articles that we've invited and we have um, Nadine Muller, Dimitri Labori, hmm. John Baines. Um, mm -hmm. Who else did we get for this? Thomas Schneider is going to write a, re um, a response to all of our articles. And, um, and, and there's just a lot of fun social history discussions in this book. So that's hmm. hopefully going to be out by the end of 2020, she said confidently, or maybe um, the beginning of 2021. Let's see. So, yeah. Yep. Academia moves at its own pace, particularly yeah. with publishing. So yeah. Fingers crossed. But yes, that sounds fascinating. And I look forward to reading all of those. So thank you very much. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything. My thanks to Professor Cooney for taking the time from her busy schedule to talk with us. Follow the links in the episode description to learn more about Cara Cooney's work and to find some of her published materials. For now, I'll see you on the next episode. May the R10 bless you and give you a great week.